on Mission Possible. Jason and I suit up for a wild ride 13,000 feet into the sky as we fall at over 100 miles per hour in a desperate attempt to preach an entire sermon before making impact with the ground. So sit back, relax, pop some corn, and get ready to laugh. This is Mission Impossible. Good morning. Welcome. How are y'all doing today? Welcome to Mission Possible. If you're wondering why I'm dressed for prom, this is my this is my James Bond outfit, and my co-star Louis was wearing the um, Tom Cruise outfit from Top Gun. And you might be wondering why we were dressed up like um, action movie stars, uh, because we're talking about Mission. Possible. I want you to notice it doesn't say mission possible or mission impossible. It's mission Paul. Because we're talking about the life, legacy, and the letters of the Apostle Paul. Because his life is like one big action movie. Uh, you ever, anyone see some action movies lately? I don't know if you saw like the new Top Gun or anything like that. Um, when you read the book of Acts and the story of Paul, I'm, I'm going to give you some highlights real quick, and, and I want you to listen to these highlights, and then tell me if you think this sounds like an action movie. Here's how it begins. Opening scene. Paul is a murderer. He's going around trying to kill Christians and arrest tr- uh, women and children. It didn't even matter. Like, everyone. if you're a Christian, Paul is out to get you. He's headed to the city of Damascus. Uh, he's been, Christians have ran from the city he was in, Jerusalem, and they've set up shop in Damascus, so he's going after them. He is a hunter. He is a predator. And on his way to go capture and kill more Christians, the resurrected Jesus appears to him. This is the opening scene of his movie. Jesus appears to him. Paul gets saved. And three days later, starts preaching about Jesus. Literally goes from trying to kill Christians. And within the same week is now trying to make more Christians. And this makes the enemy very angry. So they send out spies to figure out Paul's schedule. So they can kill him. Well guess what? Paul had spies of his own. How crazy is that? Did you know that Cricket has spies? That's how he knows if you're not here. I'm just kidding. No, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't have spies that I know of. Paul had spies. And those spies come to Paul and they say, Hey, we found out that the enemy has set up an ambush right outside the city gate. And tomorrow when you leave, they're planning to kill you. So what we're going to do is we're going to make a basket... We're going to put you in the basket. We're going to hoist the basket over the wall. This is all like in the first two weeks of Paul being a Christian. I don't know what your first month was like when you got saved. But this is Paul. He gets saved and now everyone's trying to kill him. 
He escapes in a basket. That's how his ministry begins. From there, he goes from being the hunter to being the hunted. He's got assassins trying to kill him. He's got conspiracy plots out to get him. He's, he's going into cities and entire angry mobs are, are trying to stop him and are going into riots. He ends up in shipwrecks and snake bites. It's an action movie. Have you ever seen an action movie where there's a big explosion and the hero like walks like in slow motion with the explosion behind him and you're like, there's no way. There's no way. I would flinch. Yeah. He's like, you know, Paul does that. Watch this. Paul is preaching. They get angry. And they stone him. Um, which in California, uh, getting stoned means something totally different. But in this case, <laughs> I'm from California. Um, in this case, I knew you would like that one. They, they did, in this case, they took actual stones. And they throw stones at him until his body stops moving. So they think Paul is dead. And they drag his body out of the city. And it's laying there lifeless. Then the disciples, some, some disciples gather around Paul, pray for him. He stands back up, wipes the dirt off his shoulders, slow motion walks right back into the city and keeps preaching. How is that not as gangster as like Tom Cruise or James Bond? I mean, he, this guy is an action hero. He ends up in a shipwreck. After the shipwreck, right, he barely survives the shipwreck, gets to the shore. They start a fire because they're all cold and wet. And as he's grabbing uh, wood for the fire, a venomous snake jumps out and bites him. And everyone around is like, this guy has really bad luck. And the Bible says they stood there and waited for him to die. That's, yeah, yeah. That's how crazy it was. They thought, there's not even, they didn't even think they had time to go to the doctor. That's how poisonous the snake was. We're just going to watch you die because by the, we don't really want to run. By the time we get there, you're going to be dead. What's the point? I'm going to save my knees. You know what the Bible says Paul did? He shook it off. <laughs> he shook it off into the fire and kept building the fire. This dude is crazy. He's brave. He's courageous. He's an action, like action hero, action star. Shook it off. I mean, sometimes us Christians, man, we, we can't shake stuff off. Someone looks at us the wrong way in church. I don't like the way they looked at me. That was, I think they're judging me. <laughs> he got bitten by a snake and he shook it off. We got to get better at shaking some stuff off. This dude is an action hero. And that's why um, my wife and I and our teammate Louie, we created this TV show called Mission Possible. Because Paul, I mean, he does stunts better than Tom Cruise can do. And yet, he went on four epic mission trips. He's the greatest missionary in history. And he goes on these amazing mission trips, and that's why we call it Mission Possible, because he proved that nothing was impossible with God. Now, I have um, 
all my life when I was a kid, I wanted to be I wanted to be an action movie hero. I wanted to be a stuntman. So when I was a kid, uh, my brother and I we would go to the pool and we were we were dressed up as like cowboys and stuff. We pretend to shoot each other, and then like we would stay on the edge of the pool and we'd get shot. <coughs> And then, like, fall into the water, and we were practicing our stunts, and we would get into, like, fake fist fights and stuff, and, and we dressed up like Robin Hood and, and, and Peter Pan and knights, and we would, like, we would actually, like, um, sword fight with, like, real swords. I don't know why we were allowed to. Um, but we would, like, you know, get really good at being stuntmen. And we got so good that one time we were, we were doing this cowboy fist fight uh, stunt, and our neighbor called my mom. And she was like, um, hey, your, your kids are fighting. <laughs> They're punching each other. And my mom was like, are they wearing cowboy hats? Yeah. All right. It's all make-believe. Don't worry. They're just really good at it. And they make it look real. And so that's what we wanted to be. We wanted to be stuntmen. And then I entered junior high. In junior high, uh, a new type of stunt devil came out. It was called the X Games and skateboards and and so now I was like, May, maybe I could be not just a stuntman in Hollywood. I could even be like a pro athlete who does skateboarding. <laughs> that, was, that was my dream. So I got a skateboard. And I decided I'm going to go big or go home. Which in this case was go big and then go to the hospital. So <laughs> I, t- I took my skateboard. I went to the top of the hill. I hadn't even really like skateboarded before. I, I just thought like I'm gonna go. I'm just. I don't want to do all the the boring stuff. I'm just gonna go do the big stunt right now. So I took my skateboard. I went to the top of the hill, and and on the street it it it, it goes down and it goes into an intersection. And in California we have intersections with stop signs, and stop signs just mean like hurry before they see you, you know. So cars don't stop, and. Um, this, this hill is really steep, and then you zoom right through the intersection. And this is my thinking. Is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start the hill. I'm going to go down, and right before, like, right before the cars, I'm just going to be like, Arr! it's going to be awesome. So I take my skateboard, and I go to the top of the hill. I put my, my foot on it. I put my other foot on it. I start going down the hill. And this is when I discovered... Science. <laughs> there's, there's this thing called gravity. Did you know that the speed at which you start is not the same speed you will maintain? I did not know this. I thought if I start nice and slow, I can do a nice test run and slowly go down the hill. It turns out your skateboard will go faster. There's no gas pedal to make this happen. It just does it by itself. As you go down the hill, you go much more faster than you are comfortable with. And guess what? The bigger the hill, the faster it wants to go. That's why I discovered a second thing. They never invented brakes on skateboards. Everything else with wheels has brakes. You know this? Your car has brakes. Your bike has brakes. Even rollerblades and roller skates have a little brake on the front where like, you're like this. You still fall and die. But at least, you know, there was brakes. But a skateboard does not have brakes. And it's at this moment that I am careening down the hill towards a busy intersection where the cars are not stopping. And I am not slowing down. And that's when I realized 
This was probably a bad idea. I'm halfway down the hill. And I'm starting to think, okay, I'm clearly not going to slow down. There's no brakes. What do I do? Because if I keep going, I am definitely going to hit a car or a car is going to hit me. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in the spot, right? Improv. And I'm doing it live on the moment. I'm like, all right, here's what if, what if I just real, real slowly, like I, t- I take one foot, you know, up in the air. Which, by the way, it's hard enough to balance at this age now. I was pretty good when I was a kid. I take one foot, and, I'll put, and then I was going to put that foot down slowly on the ground and, and use the bottom of my tennis shoe as a brake to slow me down, right? Great idea. I know, I know what you're thinking. Jason, you're a genius. <laughs> so I'm going down the hill. I'm getting closer and closer to the intersection. And I, and I lift up my foot, and I'm, I'm just going to slowly bring it down. And as soon... Like, as soon as my foot touched the concrete, bam! My knee hit the ground. My left leg is still on the skateboard. And I have not slowed down a single bit as my knee is scraping the asshole on my way down. I am leaving skin and blood. I am burning my kneecap. And I have not slowed down. The only difference between this position and the other one is this one hurts. (laughs) At this point, I just roll off. I roll off the board. It goes flying through the intersection. I never saw it again. And I I gave up my dream of being a stuntman. (laughs) I became a preacher. (laughs) And then the opportunity arose. As I've been preaching and, and doing these TV shows for my tribe, the opportunity arose to do a stunt show, a Bible stunt show, where we go and do these stunts and help teach kids and families about the life of Paul. And so I thought, wow, my two passions, preaching and stunts. And so that's why today we're going to do Mission Possible, and you're going to see some of the stunts we've been doing. Are you guys ready? We're going to have some fun. Now, before we kick things off with our first stunt, I want to say this. Um, when you look at Paul and you look at him going on these missions, it's amazing because, right, he goes from, like, people throwing rocks at him. He's, he's in a, he gets imprisoned. He's in jail. They, they beat him and they whip him and he gets bitten by snakes. Like, all this crazy stuff happens. And yet, after he gets persecuted, the Bible says he was filled with joy. He's filled with joy. In fact, the Bible says his joy would increase. How is that possible? How crazy is it? Can you imagine in your life, every time something bad happened, your joy increased? Eventually, the devil is going to want to stop picking on you. Every time I throw something at them, they get stronger. What if life was just good for them? Maybe that would make them weak. Wouldn't that be nice if the enemy just changed his plan on you because every time he throws something bad at you, you actually get stronger? Your joy increases? Paul is going from persecution to persecution and his joy is increasing. I want to show you what I mean because today I want to talk about the importance of joy in our life. And so we're going to watch this video And we're going to look at Acts chapter 13, where we see how Paul's joy continues to increase. And then we're going to talk about and discover 
the importance of joy. Let's take a look. The Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet and were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Joy! Paul was being chased and persecuted, but he still had joy? Even though he was surrounded by enemies and his world was crashing around him, he still had joy? What is joy? Is it happiness? Is there a difference between joy and happiness? To find out, our next mission takes us to one of California's oldest wooden roller coasters. on what is happening all around us. It is influenced by the ups and downs of our life. Happiness happens to us. It is reactive, external, and not something we choose. It just happens. But joy is a choice. Joy is something we choose. Whether we are up or down, we choose joy because joy is internal. While happiness is expressed through the face, Joy is impressed on the heart. While happiness is expressed through the face, joy is impressed on the heart. While happiness is fleeting, joy is eternal. With an eternal perspective, joy sets its sights on what God is doing and going to do, not what is happening right now. Which means even in the midst of sadness and disappointment and persecution and betrayal and danger, even when happiness has left us to fend for ourselves, joy can remain if we choose it. If we choose to believe that God is good, even when life is not. God is good, even when life is not. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Joy endures. Life will have highs and life will have lows. Life will have ups and life will have downs. But our mission 
Should we choose to accept it? Is to choose joy. To keep our eyes set on Jesus. Looking forward and looking up. Trusting God because God is good. Even when life is not. And it was this joy that gave Paul the strength to keep going. The perspective to rejoice in the Lord always. And the energy to conquer discouragement. Joy gave Paul the strength to endure. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That's a verse from Nehemiah 8.10. Now, today, this morning, you and I are going to memorize this verse. I'm going to show you how easy it is to memorize Scripture using a thing we call scraps, which stands for Scripture Rap. Now, we did a scrap for Nehemiah 8.10. It goes like this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 8.10. Amen. And we sent it out to all of our My Tribe families. And we're going to show you a collection of music videos submitted to us by kids all over America who have been memorizing this scrap. You want to see it? You ready? All right, take a look at the screen. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 8.10. Amen. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 8.10. Amen. All right. Now, if they can do it, then I believe you can do it. So we're going to do this together. Uh, remember, the verse goes like this. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 8.10. Oh, you already got it. All right. We're going to do it together. We're going to play the lyric video behind me. I'm going to do it with you, and then we're going to repeat it, and you do it. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah 8.10. Amen. All right. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah 8.10. Amen. All right, look out. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah 8.10. Amen. The joy of the Lord is my strength, Nehemiah 8.10. All right, we're going to keep that going, and now it's going to be your turn. I'm not going to help. All right, you ready? Let's turn it up. Here we go. Now the real test. What does Nehemiah 8.10 say? Boom! You just memorize scripture. See how easy it is? Scripture and rap. It's the Hamilton of preaching. All right. (laughs) One person. Thank you. All right. So. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Have you ever met someone who did not have joy? 
weren't they so exhausting? Man, when so, someone who doesn't have joy can walk into a room and just take the life out of the room. And the funny thing is, they like take the life out of the room and don't even do anything with it. Just chuck it out of the room. They rob you of joy and don't even keep it. They take your joy and their joy and chuck it out the window. People who don't have joy walk around weak and tired and nervous and scared and they're exhausting. Because when you have joy, joy strengthens you. Now, some of us might think that joy and happiness are kind of the same thing. So let me show you the difference between joy and happiness. Here's the main difference. Happiness is a jerk. Happiness is such a jerk. Let me tell you why. Happiness is only there for you when you don't need him. Let me give you an example. Happiness is not a choice. You you don't choose to be happy. Happiness just happens. For example, if I came to you and I said, hey, I just got, someone just gave me all this money and I want to give it to you. It's going to pay all your bills the next 10 years. Anytime you see a bill, it's paid for. Any debts you have are gone. You're going to have a new car, new house, all of it. Boom. That's a great deal, right? Here's the catch. You can only have this money if you're not happy about it. You're already smiling. No, no, you can't smile. No, not laughing. That's even worse. Can't laugh. Can't be happy. I need you to be really sad about this money. Is that even possible? I mean, in real life, could you choose to not be happy if you can't? Happiness is not a choice. Happiness is based on what is happening around you. You don't choose happiness. It just shows up. But guess what? Happiness only shows up for the free stuff. Right? If you win the lottery... Happiness is like, hey, remember me? Where are we going? How are we going to spend this money? You go to the dentist and happiness is like, peace out. (laughs) Happiness is only there when you don't need it, right? For those of you who you're married and that, and that, that first time you proposed and she was like, okay, fine. No, she said yes. When she said yes, happiness was there. And you're like, I don't even need happiness right now. I've got her. Where you needed happiness is when you were at the hospital and the doctor gave you a bad report. That's when you needed happiness. And where was happiness? Where did happiness go when you needed it the most? Happiness shows up for the free stuff. You went a trip to Disney World and happiness wants a free ticket. But happiness will not be there When you've got bills to pay and the house is being foreclosed on, happiness is nowhere to be found. And that's when you need it the most. What a jerk! So why do we spend our lives in the pursuit of something that will not pursue you back? We make decisions based on what makes us happy. Well, I date this person because they make me happy. Yeah, right now. Happiness will not be here for that first fight. We make, we, 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 we go to a certain career because, well, it will give me more money and then more money will make me 
more happy. But I heard a poet once say, more money, more problems. So, I don't know if he's a poet, but. Happiness. Don't, don't base your life and all your decisions based on what will make you happy. Because happiness is fleeting. It's temporary. And it's a jerk. But joy, joy is a choice. Because even when you're in that dentist's op- office, you can still choose to have joy. Even while they've opened up your mouth and they're doing like, and you're like, oh, I don't enjoy this right now. I'm not happy about this. But joy knows, hey, your teeth are going to look a lot better after this. Because joy doesn't set its mindset on what is happening right now, but on what will be. Joy read the end of the book and it knows we win. See, Jesus could go on the cross is it because of the joy that was set before him. The joy of knowing that even though I do not enjoy being on this cross, there's a reward for me afterwards. And it's that I will be united with all of my creation. So you can go through what you're going through, not based on what is happening, but based on the victory that will come. And this is Victory Church. Amen. So... Joy. So we're going to talk, let's put, let's put joy on, on the screen. I made a little graphic for you and we're going to put joy up here and we'll actually, we'll, we'll put it at the, at the top of the screen. I want you to know we have joy up here, but you can see this little shadow. Joy is kind of hovering because joy is built on some foundational elements, some ingredients. Cause here's the thing. How many of you would like to have more joy in your life? I hope more hands. <laughs> like, no, Jason, I'm, I'm, I've got plenty of joy. Today, we're going to talk about how to increase our joy. Because joy, the joy of the Lord. Nice, that's right. The joy of the Lord is my strength, my Amen. So, joy. Joy is built on the foundation. Here's what I want to theorize with you today. If you are lacking joy... It's not exactly that you're actually lacking joy. It's actually that you are lacking peace. Joy is built on the foundation of peace. So let's go ahead and add peace to our graphic up here. Joy is built on the foundation of peace. So if you are lacking joy, what you are really lacking is peace. Uh, Let me give you an example of this. Um... Uh, my wife and I, uh, to get here, we're from San Diego, California. So to get to El Dorado, we um, had to fly from San Diego to New Orleans and then from New Orleans drive here to El Dorado. Now, um, because uh, we, you know, we, we tour a lot and we speak at a lot of churches, um, we tend to have to fly a lot. So I've gotten to the point that I'm pretty comfortable on an airplane. Uh, when I was younger, you know, at first it was a little scary, but now I, I have peace about it. In fact, I have so much peace when I fly that usually I, I download uh, some movies to my phone because uh, they say, you know, you have to have your phone in airplane mode or the, the plane will blow up. I don't quite know how my phone is that dangerous, but your phone has to be on airplane mode. For me, that's kind of nice. That means no one can call me, no one can text me, can't check emails. So what I do is I spend that time watching movies, watching shows, watching things that inspire me. So I actually... Enjoy my flight. See, enjoy. Enjoy comes from the words enjoy. I can be in joy. I can enjoy my flight experience uh, because I have peace. 
Because, you know, I've gotten used to flying. However, the other day, my wife and I were flying. I was in the aisle seat. My wife was in the middle. And then there was this girl who had never flown before. Now, uh, because we try to save money when we fly, uh, we fly with Spirit Airlines. Now, the word Spirit does not stand for Holy Spirit (laughs) at all. Actually, it stands for spiritual warfare because even an atheist will become a prayer warrior midway through flight. Um, <laughs> Spirit, Spirit Airlines, it's, 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 hey, you save money. But this was her first time flying. And I highly recommend if, if it's your first time flying, don't fly Spirit. But she, it's her, first, it's, her first, it's her first time flying. And can I tell you something? She did not enjoy it. She didn't bring headphones. She didn't bring a phone to watch a movie. You know why? She was too busy gripping the, the bars, shaking, and every now and then you're like, ha! 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 I gotta admit, the flight was a little more turbulent than a typical Spirit Airline flight. <laughs> it, it, it was a bit turbulent, but I've come to, to have peace even in the turbulence. I pretend it's part of the movie, like I'm on like a cool simulator ride. Like, yeah, I enjoy I enjoy my flight because I have peace. She did not enjoy the flight because she did not have peace. She was scared. My wife was trying to like calm her down the whole time. You know, it's like a higher chance of, of dying in a car than in an airplane. <laughs> yeah, I, like just trying to make her feel better. Like we're gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. It's um. We're going to land, I promise. We're going to land, like, at the right time, not right now. <laughs> it's going to be okay. And But she did not have peace. She kept every now and then screaming, <laughs> and shaking. But can I tell you something? If she would have had peace during that flight, she could have then taken the time to get her phone out, put on some headphones, listen to music. But you can't have joy when you don't have peace. Do you see how greater peace leads to greater joy? Let me, let me give you an example with Jesus. Jesus and the disciples are in a boat and they're crossing to the other side. Now, the, many of the disciples were fishermen. That means they were used to being in the water. They were used to being on a boat in the ocean. That means they've seen a lot of storms. And most storms don't scare them. But they end up in a violent storm, an aggressive storm. The waves are crashing against the boat and into the boat. It was so extreme that these sailor men who are used to to storms and water, this, this storm actually scared them. And they thought, we are going to die. The crazy thing is that Jesus was in their boat. Sometimes we have a misconception. Well, if Jesus is in my boat, then I'm not going to have any storms. Well, actually, sometimes the reason you have a storm is because Jesus is in your boat. So the enemy is coming after your boat. Jesus is in this boat. The disciples are screaming, thinking they're going to die. And what was Jesus doing? Sleeping. Jesus was sleeping. Have you ever felt like God was asleep in your life? That's because he is. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but in this story, he was. Oh, 
always wondered, like, what was, what was Jesus dreaming about? You know, maybe he was like counting sheep, got to 99, one was missing. We got some Bible readers. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Good to know. I'm in, I'm in the right place. So Peter or one of the disciples runs down to wake up Jesus. Because what do you do in a storm? You go wake up Jesus. So he runs down there, wakes up Jesus. He says, Jesus, how could you be asleep at a time like this? Do you not care? That we are going to die? This is in your Bible. This is what he says to Jesus. Do you not care that we are going to die? I've asked that question before. Diagnosed with stage four tongue cancer. The doctors told my wife to prepare for a funeral. I remember sitting on the hospital bed, feeling like I'm dying and thinking, do you care? Do you not care that we are going to die? And Jesus, well, Jesus, the Bible says he is the prince of peace. He is the personification of peace. He has so much peace inside of him that it can come out and influence what is around him. His peace is more contagious than COVID. His, his peace inside can make things outside have more peace. His internal peace affects his external circumstances. So when the disciples wake him up, he wakes up, goes up to the top of the deck, looks at the storm, and says, Peace! Be still. And the winds and the waves were peaceful. Immediately. And that's when the Bible says that Peter looked at Jesus and said, Who are you? Who is this? Now, that's quite a question. At this moment, I believe Peter's probably been with Jesus for about two years. Every day, by the way. So, 365 days in a year, except, you know, leap years get weird. But let's just assume he's been with Jesus for... You know, over 700 days. That's more than most Christians, because most Christians can't even show up once a week to church. So, Peter has been with Jesus more times than most Christians are with Jesus. And yet, he says, who are you? Here's the full sentence. Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him? I didn't know he could do that. Here's what's crazy. Peter has seen Jesus heal the blind. So the next time he sees a blind guy, he's going to say, Hey, I can't wait for you to see me. You're going to love my beard. It's really top notch. Uh, stay right here. I'm going to go get Jesus and, and I'll see you later. He's seen Jesus raise the dead. So the next time he sees a dead guy, he's going to say, Hey, stay right here. Don't move. I'm going to go get Jesus. He's seen Jesus heal leprosy. 
They thought leprosy was contagious. So it used to be that when, when, when Peter saw a leper, he'd be like, back up, back up, back up. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. <laughs> but now, when he sees a leper, he boldly will walk up to a leper and say, hey, do you want to be healed? I'm going to go get my friend Jesus. He'll heal you. But you know what? He's never seen Jesus calm a storm. And therefore, he doesn't think Jesus can. See, it's funny. We'll trust God for the small things because we've seen God do the small things. And then we'll end up with a big thing. Well, what, what, what looks like a big thing to us. And we'll be like, God, I don't think you got this. And God's like, bro, I made this. I made everything. Like, what you find big and small, I find all of it small. God stands out. He stands outside of space and time. Like, we were like, God, this thing here is small. This thing here is big. He's like, I just see small and really, really small. Everything. Everything is smaller than him except for you. We'll be like, God, I have a headache, so I'll pray for that. But cancer, I don't know if God can do that. Peter discovers a new aspect of God's character. He discovers that even the winds and waves will bow their knees to Jesus. And guess what? He would not have discovered that had he not gone through the storm. You might be wondering, why does God allow me to go through storms? So that you can come out the other end and say, who is this? Even cancer? Who is this? So my encouragement and challenge to you is don't miss that opportunity. We're going through the storm and we're too busy complaining about the storm rather than looking for a new revelation of who God is. But here's my question to you. If you and I are just as scared and stressed out as the world, then what do we really have to offer them? If the world looks at you and I, and it's like, oh, we got inflation and and, and pandemic issues and, and all this stuff going on. If they look at you and I and we look just as worried, then why should they become Christian? You're like, hey, hey, you should come to church so you can be like me. But you're just as stressed out as me. You and I, when we go through a storm, we have the opportunity to show that God is alive and active in our life. By demonstrating his peace. And when we don't demonstrate that peace, what we actually demonstrate is it doesn't matter if you have God or not. Because we're all going to be just as stressed out. But when you can walk through the storm with peace, then people of the world look at you and say, what do you have? How are you able to have a peace that surpasses all understanding? See, you become an example that God is alive and active in your life. So it is very important that we begin to build up peace. Because as you begin to have more peace, you will have more joy. But how do we build peace? How do we get more peace in our lives? What do you do 
when, when, when you're dealing with inflation and, and, and bills and, and doctor appointments and, and all these things that are happening, what do you do when you feel like you're free falling? When it feels like everything around you is falling apart? Well, to find out, my co-star and I went skydiving. Take a look. relationship is built on trust. So it makes sense that a strong relationship with God is also built on trust. In life, we will be given opportunities to build that trust. But stepping out on faith can sometimes feel unstable, shaky, scary. Instead of running from those opportunities, embrace them because they build trust. And trust leads to peace because peace is rooted in trust. Paul would later write a letter to the Philippians saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul is saying that how we think will affect how we feel. When we focus our mind on what is true, what is right, what is excellent or praiseworthy, those thoughts directly impact how we feel. And what we feel affects how we behave. Paul says, my behavior should be one of rejoicing, in all situations rejoicing. I can rejoice because I feel at peace. And I can feel at peace because I think about whatever is true, noble, right, pure. It all begins with my thinking. I may be falling to the ground at 100 miles per hour, but I'm not thinking about the ground, the impact, the potential collision. I am thinking about the pilot, his equipment, his years of experience, and I am trusting him. Therefore, rejoicing is rooted in peace, and peace is rooted in trust. When Jesus is our pilot, we have nothing to fear, and therefore we can rejoice. Even in the midst of chaos, we can rejoice because our mind isn't set on what is happening around us, but rather on who is sitting above us, guiding us, watching over us. And with Jesus as our pilot, we can experience a peace that transcends all understanding. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Trust leads to peace, and peace leads to rejoicing. Alright, so let's put our graphic back on the screen. Uh, we have joy, and we're trying to figure out how do we, how do we get back to joy. Well, to have more joy, joy is built on a foundation of peace. And peace, as we just learned, is built on a foundation of trust. So let's go ahead and add trust to the screen. Now, I want to give you an example of this. Uh, let's say it was my first time to Victory Church, El Dorado. And, and I walk in, and I meet Pastor Cricket. And you all know Pastor Cricket. He's so good. Uh, so good at, with people, making them feel welcomed and loved. And so let's say I meet Pastor Cricket, and he makes me just feel like a hundred bucks. And, and he says, uh, welcome to Victory Church. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Um, where do I sit? And he's, he points to this chair. He says, you can just sit right in this chair, right in the front row, best seat in the house. And I'm like, thank you, Pastor Cricket. And I look at this chair, and I turn to Pastor Cricket, and I say, has anyone ever died sitting in this chair? Pastor Cricket looks at me. He's never had that question asked before. And he looks at the chair and he, and he says, uh, no, that's correct, right? The answer is no. Yeah, just, just like I thought. Um, no, no one has ever died sitting in that chair, but I'm glad you asked. And then I look at it and I look at Pastor Cricket and I say, okay, but is it safe? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a chair. A pretty common thing we do here in America. We we sit in chairs, very safe, very safe. You can look around, you know, many people are, are safely sitting in their chairs. All right, cool. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, all right, all right. Um and 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 and, and I'm not gonna die. No, you're <laughs> not by that chair. Um 
I'm going to go now welcome more sane people to church. I love he moves on, and I'm left with this chair. Not ready, not ready, not ready, not ready. No, no. It's okay if I just kind of like, just kind of hover over the chair like this or that. Honestly, at this point, whatever you want to do, man, welcome. We'll pray for you. (laughs) Can you imagine... If I did not trust this chair, it would be a little silly, right? Because I bet none of you, when you walked in here, even second guessed sitting in this chair. I bet you walked in here, plopped down, didn't even, didn't even think about it. Didn't even, didn't even, I, this might be the first time you've ever questioned, should I be sitting in this chair? You, you don't know who made this chair. You weren't there when they built it. You don't know how old this chair is. You just sat in it. You trusted this chair with your life. You realize this chair is the only thing holding you from the ground. That your entire life is trusting that this chair will not give out halfway through this sermon. For some of you, I have now ruined the chair experience for you. You will now second guess from now on any chair you sit in. But the truth is, I look around the room, and you all look very, very peaceful. Some of you too peaceful. Please open your eyes. We're still in church. I'm still preaching. We're only halfway there. But the truth is, you look very comfortable. You look very at peace. And you know why you're at peace? Because you trust this chair. If you did not trust this chair, you would not be at peace. But because you trust this chair, you have peace. And many of you, you're now enjoying the service. You're laughing and and you're having a good time and you're being encouraged because you have peace because you trust the chair. How crazy is it that so many Christians trust this chair more than they trust God? God's saying, I want to hold you. No, I'll stick with my chair. I'm going to stay, I'm going to stay in my chair. But you're called to go out and and do great things for God. No, I'm just going to stay here. I'll let, I'll let other people do miracles and and preach and, and, and spread the gospel and be missionaries. I just, I'm very comfortable in my chair. Thank you. You are trusting this chair with your life. God wants to be the ultimate chair. He wants to hold you. He wants you to trust him with your life. If you're here today and you're like, I've been, I've been lacking some joy in my life. Really what you're lacking is peace. And if you're like, yeah, I'm here and I've been, I've been lacking some peace in my life. What you're actually lacking is trust. Trusting God that no matter what storm you are going through, as, as Cricket said, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. When you begin to trust God, 
in the midst of whatever storm you're going through. You trusting that God wants what's best for you, that, that God has a plan for you. You begin to trust him, then you can go through any situation and have peace because you have trust. So if you're going through a situation right now and you're not feeling very at peace about it, and you're like, ah, God, I want to pray for more peace. Actually, let's pray for some more trust. Pray that you would trust God more with your life. Because in that trust, you can then have peace. And in that peace, you can begin to live in joy. You can enjoy the experience. You can rejoice in all things. Your joy will increase. And when your joy increases, you will be strengthened. So the enemy comes at you thinking he can weaken you by throwing a storm at you. But that storm comes, and you're like, bring it on. I trust God in the midst of the storm. Therefore, I have peace. Therefore, I actually have more joy. So now I just became stronger. And the enemy's like, man, when I throw storms at them, they get stronger. I got to change my tactic. But it begins with trust. But I want you to notice something as we bring this message to a close. Trust. It's still floating. There's one more ingredient that we are missing. Why should we trust God? Because sometimes God, we kind of make him resubmit his resume. <laughs> like, a situation happens and then God's like, hey, you, know, you can trust me with it. And we're like, I don't know. Uh, remind me why I should trust you. Remember last time when you were going through this and, and I provided? Yeah, yeah, but that was like a year ago. So, I need you to, I need you to resubmit. But Paul says that there's something Jesus did 2,000 years ago that proved once and for all that he is trustworthy. And Paul says it is simply the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Trust is built on the resurrection. A foundation, the foundation, and another word for trust is faith. The foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In that moment, Jesus proved once and for all that he could be trusted. In fact, Paul, Paul went as far as to say this. If Jesus did not resurrect, then we can all go home, close this book, stop reading the Bible. It's all pointless. It means nothing. If Jesus did not resurrect, then we are wasting our time. And I am wasting my words. If the resurrection did not happen, then Christianity is a fraud and we, we can just be done with it. Why? Because Jesus would be just like everybody else who claimed to be God. Because guess what? They're all dead. They're still dead. They died, and they stayed dead. So what would make Jesus any more trustworthy than them? And then Paul said, but, but, and this is a big but, and I like big buts, and I cannot lie. That's not what he said. That's, sorry, that, that's not Paul. That was somebody else. <laughs> I knew you would like that one. All right. 
I waited for a second service for that one. First service didn't get that one. I didn't give that. I wasn't sure. I hadn't built that trust yet, but I felt like I could, I could go there with you and we're okay. <laughs> My wife doesn't like that one. She doesn't like that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Paul said, but if Jesus did in fact resurrect, then this is a game changer. That means he conquered death. So what can't he do? If he can conquer his own death, he has proved once and for all that he can be trusted. He has proved that he is God and therefore nothing is impossible with him. This is mission possible. And if the resurrection happened, then I do not need him to resubmit his resume. He submitted 2,000 years ago and it still holds up. Because since those 2,000 years, still no one else has done that. No one else has conquered their own death. And therefore, because of the resurrection, I can trust him. And if I trust him, then nothing that comes my way can deter me from following him. And therefore, I can have peace. And in that peace, I can live in joy. I can enjoy my life, not based on what is happening, but based on the resurrection that he proved once and for all that he is God and he is worthy of my trust. And therefore, I can have joy, and that joy strengthens me. So I can walk into work Monday morning, and nothing will take my joy. Because the joy of the Lord... Amen. So, as we end the service, I would like us to go back in time. And imagine what it might be like... To be the two Roman soldiers who were put in charge of guarding the tomb of Jesus. Take a look. Hey, we're the Romans! Hey, what are we doing here again? Oh, we got promoted. Ooh! Yeah, we used to be security guards. Right, yes. But now... Uh We are bodyguards. Bodyguards? Ooh, yeah. I hope we're guarding someone famous. Who is it? Is it Brad Pitt? Who, who's Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt. You know Brad Pitt from, like, the deodorant commercial. Oh, the armpit Yeah, guy. Brad Pitt. Bradley. Mm-hmm. No, it's not Bradley. Oh. Well, well, who is it, then? It's Jesus. Jesus? Jesus. Jesus? Yeah. But, 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 but Jesus is, is dead. I, I know. He's buried in the tomb behind us. What? What? You said we got promoted to bodyguards. Yeah, we're in charge of guarding his dead body. Wait, that's, that's not what bodyguards do. Well, kind of. You, why would we guard a dead body? This sounds more like a graveyard shift. I think well, we got demoted. No, we got promoted. Well, did they give us a raise? Well, no, they, they said we owe them money. What part of this sounds like a promotion to you? I don't know. I can't believe they don't even trust us to, you know, like, watch over, like, a living, actual person. They're like, watch this dead person. You can't mess that up. Well, but, but I think we're going to do good. No, my, my cat can do an even better job. I don't know. Your, your cat's pretty dumb. Miss <gasps> Whiskers. I'm just saying. But, so why are we guarding this dead body anyway? So he doesn't escape. Escape? But he's dead. 
I know, but he said he would come back to life. And, and you believe that? Well, he did raise Lazarus from the dead. That is true. And the Pharisees told me that Peter or one of the disciples might come back here, steal the body, and claim he resurrected. Peter, I can't stand oh, that guy. He is a handful. So, how long do we have to stand here then? Uh, three days. Th three, three days? Just, just three days. What happened? Why three days? Well, because then our shift is up and we can go home. Okay, so... All we gotta do then is we gotta stand here for mm -hmm. three days yeah. and make sure that this dead guy doesn't leave. That's easy. That's easy. Yeah. We can totally do that. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? I don't think it's a liger. Is it, is it an octopus? It, that sounds about right. Ah! Any sign of Tomb Raiders yet? So far, so good. Okay, well, if I see that Peter trying to steal the body, I am not going to be happy. If you see Peter, you should probably cover up your other ear. <laughs> Too soon. You know, I've been thinking. What? I've been thinking. Yeah, no, 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 I, I heard you. I was asking, like, like, what are you thinking oh, about? I, I've been thinking Jesus was a good guy. Uh, not, not this again. Now, now hear me out. He helped Romans, mm -hmm. he helped Samaritans, he helped lepers, he even had women disciples. Wow, women disciples? Yeah. That's that's unheard of. I, I, I know he was revolutionary for his time, but, but not in a violent way, more in a loving way. Okay, you need to remember who you serve. You serve Caesar. We both decided to follow him. He's the king of kings, the son of God, not this... Jesus, fella. Okay, but but Jesus walked on water. Did, did Caesar ever do that? No, but Caesar's got a really cool yacht, so he doesn't need to walk on water. Okay, but Jesus healed the blind and the lame and, and the mute and, and the deaf. I mean, can you say the same for Caesar? Well, no. And Jesus raised the dead. Has Caesar ever done that? Not at all, actually. He, he, Caesar's done the opposite. He's actually responsible for the death of thousands of people. I think we made a mistake, man. I don't think Jesus should have done well, well, he's dead, okay? It's nothing we can do about it now. And besides, if he was God, why didn't he stop us or do anything about it? I know. It's like he willingly gave his life. I don't get it. Listen, he's dead. He was a good man, but he's dead. Oh, oh do you feel that? Wait, what is happening right now? It's back. What's back? The earthquake from the other day. I, I feel the same feeling I felt then. Wait, what is going on? It's him, man. I know it. it, it it's just an earthquake. I don't think so, bro. About. Jesus, his body is gone. What? 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 Why are you smiling? I knew it. What? I felt his presence in that earthquake. It was this mix of untamable power and unconditional love. What? He is risen. What? No, we're going to get in so much trouble for this. He's alive. We're going to lose our jobs again. He He's gone! I'm gonna have to go back to being a doctor. My dad's gonna be so disappointed in me. Jesus is gone! And you're gonna have to go back to being a mom cop! No! N no? No! I have decided! D decided what? 
I have decided to follow Jesus. Huh? And I have decided to follow Jesus. Is this a musical now? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. To follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Yeah.
stand with me, church. Let's worship God. got some praise this morning. He is worthy of our trust completely and therefore we can have peace and in that peace our joy can increase and the joy of the Lord is my strength. Nehemiah 8.10. Amen. Amen. I want to remind you that uh that God is with you, and that nothing is impossible with God. And I want to leave you, I want to leave you with this. Paul, Paul says in one of his letters, this beautiful thing, he says, listen, the resurrected Jesus, he appeared to Peter and the 12 disciples. And then he appeared to over 500 witnesses. And then he appeared to me. Paul says, I will fight to the death that he is alive and resurrected. Because he appeared to me. And here's what's amazing. Paul was Satan's top player. He was the LeBron James of hell. The Tom Brady of Hades. 
He was Satan's best player. And Jesus walked into Satan's camp, looked at all of his top players and decided, I will take your best one. Didn't even make a trade. He wasn't like, and you can have Judas. He's just hanging around. No. He took Satan's best player and walked out of hell. And Satan couldn't do anything about it. But here's the problem. Paul was a murderer who had tried to stop the growth of Christianity. And when Jesus came to him, he didn't destroy him. He looked at Paul and he saw the potential of who Paul could be. And he said, I forgive you. If you will follow me, I will use you. You'll become the greatest missionary in history. How is it that Jesus could look at someone as wicked as Paul and forgive them? And see their potential. When most Christians in the church are still holding grudges against someone else sitting in the other row. Still holding grudges against our brothers and sisters in Christ. Church, there's a bigger battle. There's a bigger battle out there. We've got some Pauls sitting among us. Who Jesus has already forgiven. And Jesus is just waiting for you to forgive him. But not only are there some Pauls sitting around you, but there is a Paul. When you, when you look in the mirror, when you get home today and you look in the mirror and you typically look at yourself and you think God will never use me to do great. I'll just, I'll just pray for others to do great. No, no, no. What God saw in Paul, God sees in you. Sometimes we, we look at the Bible and we're like, well, Paul was, a, Paul was a great guy, so of course God used him. No, he was a murderer. Have you murdered anyone lately? If the answer is no, and I hope it is, you're already doing a lot better than Paul. If the answer is yes, we have celebrate recovery, you'll be fine. God wants to use you. Nothing is impossible with God. This is mission Possible.